Hey folks, and welcome back to Undesirable Jewish Topics. I'm your host, Simon, and you got your host, David, again, and, and Mendel. And we have a special guest here today. We have our friend here, Moshe. And, uh, very happy to have him <laughs> on. And, um, uh, you know, is there anything we have? Yeah, to... basically he contacted us saying that he had a really, really cool topic to talk about. And again, we encourage everyone who wants to talk and uh, share um, something special and something they think people can learn from. So let's not waste any time. Let's get straight to it. Um, Moshe. Okay. All righty, guys. So today's topic is going to be, the headline is going to be Judaism V versus religion. Now, the breakdown of this topic is the following. It assumes two uh, concepts, right? Um, one is, it assumes, two, one is Judaism itself, and then the idea of religion. And what it does is it compares and contrasts the two ideas, how people think about them, and then what really are they. Um, the sources I'm going to be using are a little bit just definitions from the internet and then mostly actual sources directly from the Torah. And we're going to be delving into several different sources that will reveal a couple of different levels of how to correctly understand Judaism, um, not as a religion, more as an identity and we're going to delve more into exactly what that means. If I'm, it's very important, actually. It sounds like a very important subject that doesn't get overlooked. So, yeah, I think it's very good that we're bringing this topic to us. Okay. So, let's get started. Initially, there are two ways that we can really go about this. There are several... What, what are called Mikoros, sources throughout the Chumash and the Gemara and the Navi, where you can see a clear indication of a concept. And I am first going to introduce the concept. And then I, after introducing and explaining it, I will begin to show where I see it in the sources and how those sources add levels to the understanding that we have presented. So, to begin, we have to go to the basic definitions, right? We need to go to the basic definitions. So, if you go onto just the internet, you search up religion, you will hear the following thing. A religion is defined as the belief and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a pers personal god or gods. That's one definition. A particular system of faith or worship is another definition. And the last definition is a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. The definition that I mostly want to focus on today is the middle one, which speaks about a particular system of faith and worship. Now, this is where the hairs begin to split. When we search up a definition of faith, we see, and this is, this is what it says here, the definition of faith, the second definition for the internet on any search, 
will be defined as a strong belief in God or the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. So what we have presented now is that the definition of religion is a belief based on faith. We have then understood the definition of faith as being a strong belief based off spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Now, this is the first element in which I believe it's important to express the difference and really the contrast between Judaism and any other religion. Religion in general, what most people think, is it works with faith. So it's not, you know, you don't really, there's nothing, you don't have it worked out, you don't, there's no, you don't really have proof. It's just, you know, you have to assume, you have to believe just because, you know, that's, or that's what your parents told you, or that's what, that's what it says somewhere, right? And what that does is it essentially creates a dynamic in which there's a level of cancellation of self, and therefore it can lead to a multitude of actions that have no basis in morality or no basis in much of things like that. There is a historical fact that the most murder has happened in the world in the religion of Christianity, and that's because different areas of Christianity killed each other based on what they thought that their beliefs were, right? In Judaism, there is explicitly in the Rambam and in the Derech Hashem that there is a mitzvah of Yediyah, right? Yediyah comes from the word knowledge, knowledge, which means to know something. Now, can everybody, anybody want to share what they believe it means to know something? What do they think it means to know something? Uh, the um, understanding, a proper... You're saying faith? Yeah. What, no, no, no. To you, what does it mean to know something? What do you mean? When you say, I know X, what do you mean by that? I understand it fully and I comprehend what it is naturally. You understand it fully and comprehend what it is? Okay. What else? I don't know if I'd agree with that. Mendo, what do you think? Just because you understand something doesn't mean you understand it fully or you're understanding correct, you know. But that, but that just proves but that you saying that you don't understand it fully means that understanding means you comprehend it. Comprehension and understanding is all biased, especially if you're going to talk about religion. Someone, uh, a Muslim or a Christian, let's say, looks at Jews and says, Oh, you guys all have it wrong. And the Muslim looks at the Christians and the Jews, you guys all have it wrong. You guys all need to convert to Islam. But the Christian will say the same thing. You guys all have it wrong. You guys need to convert to Christianity. And the Jews, vice versa. And they all have different ways of pushing that. Some more aggressively than others. Okay. You're getting you're getting an interesting point. I want to talk about that. You have anything to add, David? Um, I believe, I mean, there's many levels of understanding. Uh, true understanding, I don't believe anyone can ever know. Because if, if there's many steps. It's like, oh, the grass is like, is, is moving in the wind. Why is it moving in the wind? It's windy. Who made, who made the wind? God. Who's God? Like, I'm saying, we never actually, I, I personally believe there's only many, many steps of knowledge and um, knowing. Uh, can you ever fully know something? I don't, I don't, I don't believe. Um, but is the knowledge 
is it, do we have enough knowledge to have faith? Yes. That's why there's well, still, still religion. That is what faith is. Faith, faith, faith is, is, is the absence of knowing. No, exactly. but it's both. It's both. It's the absence of proof. It's, it's absence of proof. Then again, knowledge. something that you may see is, is proof so for something. Yeah, but there's something. Lack of understanding, but there's a little bit. You have to have a little bit of knowledge. Because if, if you go to any smart person and tell them to do something, you don't have to give them a proof. You just have to give them a little bit of knowledge just to, for them to you, go you, and do you it. You give evidence. Okay, evidence to provide for the point. I believe there's something called uh, hukim. I believe this is the correct term. Hukim. Yeah. yeah, we're going to get. Yeah. Hukim is hukim. the exact opposite. Hukim is the exact opposite where it's saying that. Uh, I can't tell you anything. God said to do this. I don't know why. You're never gonna know why. Do it. That's awesome. You're wrong, but you're you're right. Find out we're gonna we're gonna go back to it. You'll, you'll know why when Mashiach. We'll go back to it. No, 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 not even that. Not even that. Okay. So, moving on. So Yedia. So the word Yedia is translating as knowledge, and there is a Rabbi Tzadok Hakohen, famous Rabbi Tzadok Hakohen, who was a he was a earlier Ahron, and he says a fascinating thing. He says. If you ever want to understand what a word means in the Torah, you go to the first place where it's said and you define it based off its context in that location. Why? Why the first place? The first, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't have the reasoning behind this rule, but many, many times that I know have this rule of defining words in the Torah. So when the Torah introduces a word first, so that's, where it's that's where it wants that's where you meet it first and then every time after that where do you decide at the beginning of it? no the first time that it mentions the word in the torah yeah but how do you how do you define what's the beginning what's the end what do you mean beginning beginning of what how do you know what, where's the first place how are you defining that by the way the torah is written the torah was given to us in a certain order based off psychos and stumos so you're saying Beratius from shows Beratius. up in Beratius, we're going to believe that definition versus that showed up in Bamidbar. Right. It, it has to share a co- it has to have a commonality with an underlying definition. Or are you talking about ge- like um, geographically, not geographically, uh, timeline wise? It's not. There's certain stuff that happened in say Parsha Shemais that happened before. No, it's not time. It's not timeline wise at all. It's literally the first time it's the word is said in the Torah. So you said Bereshit Bar Elokim, and the first in the order when you go reading it, the first time that it says Yedia is where you okay. draw the definition. Okay, so anybody want to hack a guess at the first time where it says the word Yedi in the Torah? I'm going to have to say Gitzel. No, earlier. Earlier. Oh, I know. What's the Yaakov? Earlier. Earlier? Yedi, Yedi. Oh, no, this is Adam and Chavo. Yes, I love it. Other when they eat from the tree. Other Not from the, the close. It is on the Chava, but the first time it ever says what we do in the Torah is when it refers to snake sex. Oh, wow. <laughs> the Vasek says, "Vayeda Adam es Chava Ishto." It says that Adam knew his wife Chava, which we know, which Mefarshim Chazal tell us means that they had relations. Now, so you'll ask, well, what, what on earth? How knowledge relations? What is that even supposed to mean? Right? So for that, we come on to a fascinating and unbelievable Yesod, which is the way that I define knowledge and the way that I've been defined knowledge too, right? Been told, is that knowledge in its most pure form is the experience of the reality of something. So 
if I say, ah. if I say, do you, I know X, Y, right? The point of relations, and this is true in relationships in marriage in general, but the point where you know the existence, you feel the existence, you're a hundred million percent sure of the existence of a person in your life is at the point where you're having relations with them. You're experiencing that person in a completely verifiable, totally hundred percent. If you were having relations with somebody and somebody told you, you know, that person doesn't really exist. You, you wouldn't believe that, right? So Yadia doesn't refer to a theoretical understanding of something at all, at all. Understanding something has zero to do with your knowledge of that thing. Because why is that? Because anything that's left up to the, the realm of theory, right, is essentially always going to be up to debate and can never become objective. So if you ever want to claim any sense of objectivity, it has to be within Yadiyah, which has to be within experiencing the reality of something as opposed to understanding its truth or proving that it's true in a theoretical fashion. And this, by the way, is it comes out when you're doing Kirov. If you ever ask somebody, have you ever sat in a shear, gotten a beautiful, brilliant proof of God, you're like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. There must be a God in the world. I'm going to convert Judaism and I'm going to do it. You'll never hear someone say that. You'll never hear someone say, oh yeah, this proof was so beautiful. It's so logical. Let me convert to Judaism. No, if he wants to eat his ice cream, eat his chazer, eat his pig, focus on his, on his, on his things, then he'll just say, oh, but I could say the aliens came down and it was just, and they were all on drugs and it was all fake. You can always say that. If there was something external to who you were that can force you to believe or do something, that would be the beginning of taking away your choice. Your choice is your ability to know something. That's the beginning of this. Actually, funny story, like you were saying, I do know, I met someone who went to, went to a shir and like got all inspired and actually wanted to, like, Gaia. And he came over to like a rabbi and like, he's like, oh, I want to convert. And that was like shocked. He's like, I don't know what to do. He's like, by the way, you can't eat this food. You, you can't watch this, your favorite soccer game. You need a bismillah. And the guy like freaked out and he never came back. Whatever. You said a lot of very interesting points. It's a very nice share. How is this relevant to your original topic? Okay. So beautiful. So, right? so we're, so we're going to trace back to it. Yeah. So fine. So you deal, right? So knowledge. So in the Ram, right. So the Rambam says that a person has to be Yodeya. He has to know that there is Hashem. So with our understanding of what the word Yadiya means, that opens a new facet. Because what does that mean now? What does it mean now if you have to be Yodeya, there is Hashem? It means, right, that you have to have an experiential truth of God. There is no such thing as, oh, I think, and there's proofs, there's this, there's that, there's no, no, no. There has to be a reality of experiential proof of God. Now, can I, can I bring you one of the biggest proofs that this is the underlying fashion in which we were in the Kabbalah Torah? Anybody, what's the parsha of Kabbalah Torah called it? Anybody know? Kabbalah Yeah, the parsha that Kabbalah Torah happened in. Like, it was last week. Oh, it was Yisrael. Yisrael, right? 
Now, think about that for a second. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> think about that for a second, right? The parsha of Kabbalah Torah is called Yisra. Now, who's a Gentile? Who's a Gentile, and he was a Gear, and he's famous for doing something. Anybody know what he's famous for doing? He's exactly. He's famous for doing what is there, but in what fashion? He tried them all. He tried it. He tried them all. Now, what is what's that? What's that? So let's let's trace back. So what that means is like this: we're naming the parsha of Kabbalah Torah, which is the beginning of Judaism. After a person who tried every single religion, but the one that we're naming him after until that Parsha. What, why do you think he did this? Why do you think he did this? Why do you think he tried every single one? He couldn't just look at it and say, oh, that's stupid. That's freaking bowing to a rock. That's retarded. That's re why do you think he had to try every single one? So, so technically speaking, I just, I'm, I'm taking it from what you're saying, from the idea. He tried every single one because he couldn't find the idea of all the other ones. And then when he found the idea of Hashem, he found, no, this is, he automatically connected to it. Right, so that's the beginning of, of the concept. The beginning of the concept is, it, it's not enough. It's not enough that you say, oh, well, this is not logical. A person, the person who we named Kabbalah Satara after, is the person who tried, had to experience the falsity of all of the other religions in the world in order to now become Jewish. He had to experience, not, not he had to know, not he had to figure it out. He had to go and bow down to every single idol. The Gemara says he fattened cows for them. He shafted them. He was the Kohen Midyar in, in, in the beginning of Mishmos. He was the priest, the high priest. He was literally had to try every religion. Why? Because he insisted on Yediyah. He insisted on Yediyah, on experiential knowledge of the reality of something for him to participate in that thing. Okay, so can you explain what you mean by experiential knowledge? Like, give me a practical, modern day example. Explain exactly what that like what that means because it's a very, it's a very broad term, so to speak. Okay, so the the most common example they give is with smokers. So you'll tell someone, you'll tell someone, hey, you, hey, bro, you know, it's you you shouldn't smoke. You know, don't you know, don't you know that smoking kills your lungs, okay. right? And he says, yeah, I know, but, right? Okay. So in other words like this, you have to ask yourself, is that guy retarded? It's, it's a verifiable fact that if you smoke, you will, right. your lungs will, so get damaged, right? yeah, yeah. you'll get, okay. get damaged. Right? So you tell him, don't do that. You're good. He sees the advertisement, but he still doesn't. But Why? Because he has an experience that he doesn't know for his physical soul. Because until the point where he experiences the damage or he has a traumatic thing, he does not, he doesn't, he, he thinks, he understands in a theoretical headspace that smoking is bad for you. But what does he say? This is called Mora Heter in Judaism, right? What does he say? He says, yeah, it's bad for me, but that's for the other guy. My lungs are super good. I go to the gym a lot. I, X, Y, and Z, and he comes up with a variety of excuses. Smokers specifically are very likely to give that response. The more likely response you'll get from a smoker is, I don't care, or I'm going to die anyway. That response where you're making excuses, yes, you're going to find drug addicts, alcoholics, yes. or any other, or most other addictions. With smokers specifically, more commonly, they're going to, it's not 
but it's I don't care. That's not, interesting. Not always, I, not, not I'm not really. I mean, I'm, you can say it's a very common answer, but I don't think it's. Um, I don't think it's entirely accurate. I think oftentimes people forget that. You know, even if this person will say, as you said, oh, I don't care, they won't recommend it, though. I mean, if they're not recommending it, clearly they have some sort of understanding. And yes, that, that you can is understand true. that it's bad, but you can yeah, but it's a theory. You're gonna stop. It's a theoretical understanding is right. the point, right? And when yeah. something remains in theory, then it essentially does not motivate action, does not motivate change or action because it remains in a theoretical headspace. So you're saying when you actually experience it, you take action. So if you if you be smoker. And then this, I know a lot of people like this, right? Their lungs get, you know, something happens. They go to the doctor and they're told, you know, it's do or die, right? At that point, they stop. Why? In most cases, not all cases. Why do they stop? Because they just experienced in the most real way possible, the reality of smoking being detrimental to their health. So the difference that I'm saying between when I say experiential reality and I say theoretical reality is that's what I mean. Those are the two okay, separate. So you're saying yidia is an experiential reality of something. Okay. So how how can this be applied to Judaism? So so we're starting right. So in so Yisro we said was the gear, and he was the reason why the Torah was named after him is because we're starting to understand is because he was the person who insisted on this level of knowledge. That it be experiential because he worshipped every other Avodah before he did this one, right? And he made, not only that, he made Moshe Rabbeinu swear that his son would have to worship idols if he wanted to marry his daughter. His son Gershom would have to be able to worship idols if he wanted to marry his daughter. Why? Because for this exact same reason. The, you, he, did not, he did not want there to be a, only a one-sided appreciation of a reality. Right, so but but that, by that token, why is it that if the Torah was named after Yisro because of this this thing that he did, why is it that? It's in, partially, yeah. Yeah, but but it, it, why is it that we are not supposed to really like we're we're it says that you're Jewish, you're born Jewish, you are Jewish, you have Jewish blood, your parents are Jewish, your mother's Jewish, you're Jewish, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're not supposed to practice the Bazaar, right? But how, then how is that there that knowing? What what makes it different from us now? <laughs> Okay, excellent question. Um, so, okay, so I'm definitely going to address that, right? I'm going to address that. That's a very good question, and I'm going to I'm going to try to get to. It. So, I want to bring a proof or two to this concept that I introduced, like I said I would. And the first proof that I'm going to bring is a fascinating story in Tanakh. Is anybody familiar with the king called Ahav? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. So Ahav was a king in the times of, he was, it's in Melach HaMalaf, in the times of Elio Anabi. And the Pesachim say about him explicitly, they say, Ahav was worse than Yeravah ben Evat, and Yeravah ben Evat was by far the worst person in Jewish history. Um, if, you don't mind, if you don't mind, can you tell me a, a few seconds, who, is, who, who, who was he? Because maybe people don't know who he was. Like me. Yeravah ben Evat was the king who ruled right after Shlomo Amelech, and because Shlomo Amelech married and made a house for the daughter of Paro, who he married, there was a gezerah that the kingship of the Jewish people at that point in history would be split 
between the Jews, the ten tribes, and Yehuda and Benjamin. And Yeruvah ben Avot was the first king of the Jewish, the ten tribes, in the history of Melachim. Okay. Achav came a couple of kings after him. So in the what, what did he do that, that makes you consider so bad? He made, he recreated the sin of the golden calf. Oh, okay. And he forbade any Jews from the ten tribes to actually go to the Beis Hamikdash, out of fear that they would, they would come go back to the other king. And you're saying Achav was worse than this? Right. It's Mefurish and the Pesukim that he was worse. Okay. He killed Achav killed Neviim. He married a Goya. He wiped out Tamid Chachamim. He was by far much worse. Okay. Now, there's a fascinating story, a crazy story here. So it says here that there, it says. There's a guy called Ben Hadad Melech Aram, and he basically is he's he's having a he's a siege on Shomron, which is where Achav was based. So it says, you know, you have to give me all of your money, everything that you like, right? All your 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 wives, your wives, everything. So he says, you know, he says, You have to give it to me. Okay. So he, so he says, okay, fine. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm definitely going to, I'll give that, right? I have no other choice. His army was much bigger, right? Then he says something else. He says, Kim Bahar, tomorrow, Ashalachas I'm going to send my, my servants to you. And the house of your servants, all the, the things that your eye favors, your eye loves, they'll put in their hand, they'll leave. Rashi tells us that this is referring to a safer Torah. To this, Achav's response was, he called all the, the Zakanim, and he, they, they told him, don't do it. And he says, I'm sorry, lo uchalasos. I can't do it. I can't give you the safer Torah. And the story continues that Bishchus, that he did this, he ended up going out and winning this war against the army that was much stronger. Now we have to put this in context because this is this is actually crazy. So um, you're, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm like for the first time. Um, we're running out of time. Um, can you just like finish this topic, whatever, and then we'll like do part two or something? Like okay, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. Okay, so this, the context of this is that we have a king. His name is Achav, and he did things that were much worse than Yeravim ben Avat who is by far the worst person in, in Jewish history, and including like all the various, he killed people, all stories verifiable in Tanakh. But at the point where he was asked by his enemy to give over the Sefer Torah, his answer was, I'm sorry, I can't give you the Sefer Torah. You can have my wives, you can have my gold, you can have my silver, you can have my mansion, you can have whatever you want, but I'm not giving you the Sefer Torah. Now, let me ask you this. If we were taking Torah and we're saying Torah is just essentially a facet of Judaism, it's a thing, you know, blah, blah, blah. If I worshiped idols already, I killed people, I was over on countless Averis. What on earth, what on earth concern do I have with a safer Torah? I'm willing to give up my wives, my money, my gold, but I'm not willing to give up a safer Torah? A safer Torah was a sign of kingship. What do you mean? But the time of the base of Mikdash and the time of the king back then, a big part of being crowned king was the Sefer Torah. What do you mean the Sefer Torah? That is true. That is true. But his problem already is clear that his problem wasn't giving up his kingship because he was surrendered. 
He was willing to, he gave up everything else. It's not definitely not less than the sign of his wealth, a king's wealth, a king's money, a king's horses. Those are also things that a king have a story about, right? Yeah. On this particular thing, he was not willing to budge, right? Well, as long as the king does not give up his faith, he's still strong. He did give he did give up his faith because he's willing to give everything. Well, yeah, but he's he not gave giving him. up his faith because he's not giving up the Sefer Torah. That shows that he's not giving up his faith. Oh, okay. Okay, so so okay, so so okay, so that's so now we're getting to it, right? So essentially, what's being brought out here is that the Jewish people did not view the Torah as something that had to do with oh, it's it, it, it's between me and Hashem. They actually viewed it as their own self-expression. It was something that they understood, stood for the reality of who they were, not something that they were in a relationship with with somebody else. Because if you're already willing to worship a Vodazar, you're already willing to kill people, you're already willing to violate the Shoshai Karim, the three biggest mitzvahs in the Torah, but you're not willing to give up Torah scroll, essentially proves that you don't view the Torah scroll as something that has to do with the religious aspect. You view it as your, the reality of your identity, and that you're not willing to compromise on. Okay, so more on this in a few minutes. We're going to take a few-minute break, and we will keep on going. Yeah, Tune you, in for more information. For more. <laughs>